What's up, everybody? On a Come Up Podcast, back at it again, bringing you another fantastic episode. On today's episode, we're covering more NBA offseason news, previewing this year's Comic-Con, and ending the episode with an Infinity Saga's ranking was. Yes, we're ranking all 23 Marvel Cinematic Universe movies from worst to best. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. That's how in the week again, folks, on a Come Up Podcast, a podcast dedicated to everything sports and nerd culture. I am your host, Jacob Knight, and if it's your first time listening, welcome to the podcast. And if you're a returning listener, we're glad to have you back. Hope everybody's having a good week. Okay, I just want to get something off my chest right quick. I may be in the minority when it comes to this, but I'm going to say it. I'm not a big fan of these Area 51 memes. Yes, I know I may be a Debbie Downer or a negative Nancy, but to me, it's just over the past like two weeks, the internet has been running memes into the ground. Granted, I love memes. If you follow me on Twitter or Instagram, at so, at so yeah, I'm Asian, or uh, friends with me on Facebook, you know I love sharing funny memes. But over the past couple weeks, uh, the internet has been running these memes into the ground just constantly. Uh, last week was the aerial memes, and now uh, this week is the Area 51 memes. For those of, for those of you who don't know, uh, there's a fa- I think a Facebook event was set up last week um, about they're going to storm Area 51, you know, the area where they keep all the aliens at. And uh, the list has grown to at least, I think I checked the last night, was over 1.4 million said they're going to go there and, and uh, storm Area 51. And the thing, the event's on September 20th, which is my birthday, and the event is from 3 a.m. 3 to 6 a.m. This, this is me just thinking logically. If you're going to storm something, why tell them, like, hey, we're going to be here on this day at this time? No, like if you're gonna storm something, you're supposed to do it without them know, you know, without them knowing. Like back in D Day, did we did we call up Germany? And was like, hey, uh, what y'all doing in Normandy on June 6th? About I don't know noonish. Okay, cause me, cause we're about to storm the beach. Just make sure y'all defenses ain't up at that time, so we can invade y'all quickly. It, 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 I don't know, just me thinking logically, but it's just not. I don't know these Area Fifty One memes. It's not my, it's not my cup of tea, to uh to say the least. Okay, but getting into the topics for today, all I gotta say is, man, this probably been the best NBA free agency in history of the league. Yes, this NBA free agency has been full of blockbuster signings, like notably uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to Brooklyn and Kawhi to the Clippers. Also, this offseason has been. Excuse me. Also, this offseason, there's been a lot of blockbuster trades. In June, we had Anthony Davis getting traded to the Lakers. And a couple weeks ago, we had um, Paul George getting traded to the Clippers. And now, uh, I think last Thursday, the news broke that Russell Westbrook was being traded for, to the Houston Rockets. Him and Chris, I mean, uh, and, uh, there was a trade with him and Chris Paul and a whole bunch of draft picks. And it reunites um, former teammates. Um, Russell Westbrook and James Harden. They did play for three earlier seasons in OKC, and they were successful in those seasons. Each time advancing further in the playoffs to their last season together in 2012, where they made it to the NBA Finals, ultimately getting beat by the Miami Heat. And one of the biggest questions is after this trade is how would this dynamic work? Because back at OKC, they both were younger players, and but fast forward seven years later, each has won an MVP in both have led their teams respectively in deep playoff runs. 
and both of them has been the guy on their team for uh for a few years. So how would this work out? To be honest, I wouldn't. Well, most analysts say they want to be surprised if it worked out because both players need the ball to be effective. I think in the last two or three years, they were I think number one and and two in uh I think I can't remember the stat and they want to say it was not PER but one of those advanced analytics stats. Uh, they were both those advanced analytic offensive stats. They're both number one and two in that respectively over the past, I want to say four, four seasons. But how will Russ deal with, you know, James Harden ISO style and then the Rockets offensive style was shooting a lot of threes because, uh, yeah, because if you watch the Rockets play, they're out of taking the, they're out of laying the ball up or taking the three, nothing in the middle. And Russ isn't the best three point shooter, but it, and, and but it is will be very dangerous if this works out. Since the Rockets like to shoot a lot of threes, it will leave the lanes wide open, wide open for Russ to drive it to the hole. And if they collapse on Russ, he can always just kick it out because he did a league, he he did league the league in assists last year. So when he drives it to the hole, he can kick it out to Harden, Gordon, Tucker, you know, et cetera, for the three. And and I did my research for this one. I think and the NBA is like in his seventieth. But they've been going, the NBA's been here for about 70 plus years. And it's going to be the 14th time in NBA history that there's been two current MVPs on the same team. The uh, the other 13 teams, uh, you may ask, is technically, uh, I, I did a technicality on this role. They did they have two MVPs on their roster. They, do, they both don't have to be MVP caliber players at the time they play together, as long as they're on the roster. In case you're wondering, the other 13 pairings was uh, Kuzi and Russell with the Celtics back in the day. Oscar Robinson and Kareem, I want to say in Milwaukee. Um, Moses Malone and Dr. J. Luke Walton, not Luke Walton, Bill Walton and Larry Bird. Kareem and Magic. Bar- uh, Charles Barkley and Hakeem Olajuwon. David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Shaq and Nash with the Suns. Shaq and LeBron with the Cavaliers. Shaq and... Kevin Garnett with the Celtics and and uh, Kobe and Nash with the Lakers. Recently, Steph and KD with the Warriors, and now Russell Westbrook and James Harden. But the other team in this trade, how would this leave OKC? It just you know just think about it. At one time, OKC did have Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, all three future league MVPs, and they had a defensive stopper in in a. Uh, Serge Ibaka, to me, like that OKC team is probably one of the biggest what if in sports. Like, what if, you know, what if 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 OKC paid that extra four or five million to keep Harden, and what if they kept Serge Ibaka and they kept that core together? You know, would it like would they ever would they ever win a title? Because they did go to the finals, but most of them were probably in their second or third year at the most. But we'll never know. Now OKC's in rebuild mode and they're trying to ship Chris. Paul out for some more trades, but Houston will still remain a contender in the West with this blockbuster signing. And now let's move on to talk about one of the biggest comic book conventions in the world up next. Okay, so one of the biggest events in entertainment takes place this weekend. It's Comic-Con. Uh, yes, for those, for those of you who don't know what Comic-Con is, Comic-Con is the biggest comic book convention in the world and it takes place in san diego from july 18th through the 21st and this one and this is 
on my bucket list on places to go before I die because I have family in Southern California around LA area and without traffic or uh, San Diego is probably two hours away from LA. So hopefully fingers crossed one day I will be there. But Comic-Con usually previews the biggest movies, sports, you know, anime, comic books coming out in the future. And they got a lot of different panels from uh, companies, networks, and artists. But I don't think, uh, to my knowledge, there's there's no way to watch Comic-Con. If there is, just let me know. But I don't think there's no way to stream it. You just have to find out when they put it, you know, put it on art, news articles and stuff. And I will find out what happened uh, Yeah, through these articles. Basically, the only way to find out what happened is through the news articles that would probably get leaked later on that day or being there at the event. And two of the heavy hitters are going to be there this year, like always, is DC and Marvel. With DC, um, I think I watched someone, one of the, some of their rollouts is they're going to, of course, the, the Arrowverse shows are going to be there. You know, um, Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, Black Lightning, which is not a part of the Arrowverse, but they just throw, they just throw it in that group of shows and the legends of tomorrow. Uh, they're previewing the newest seasons for each show. And also going to talk about the final season of arrow, which is the flagship show of the Arrowverse. overall. This probably to me, this is my favorite show of, of the Arrowverse shows because it was the first one I watched. And overall, I think it's the best show out of the group. Cause it has a darker tone than some of the, than all the other shows. But, uh, the, Overall, it's been a really good show, but the last couple seasons have been lackluster, they say the least, and also going to preview the big crossover event, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is rumored to be uh, the last, I think it's rumored to be the last crossover between all all of the shows since Arrow is uh, is ending uh, later, on this, later on this year. Usually, all the Arrowverse crossover shows are really good and also, they're also going to preview the Batwoman show which was really is going to be released uh, October 6th is the premiere date and some of the fans aren't excited about this I think the latest trailer I watched on YouTube I think it was released in May it had over 400,000 dislikes that's a lot of dislikes for a video usually that's like Justin Bieber music videos numbers right there getting that many dislikes but y'all know me i don't have an i really don't have an opinion or i don't form my opinion until i see you know the final product and one of the biggest uh things they're probably going to talk about this year they're going to uh hopefully they preview or at least show it at least show a teaser to the wonder woman sequel wonder woman 1984 because this movie was originally supposed to come out this november but was pushed back until uh june uh 2020 and also they're going to talk about the dc streaming service which is doing really good they got uh, shows like the Doom Patrol and Swamp Thing was getting real good reviews before it got canceled. But they're going to do, uh, I guess, the flagship show with DC uh, streaming service is going to be. Uh, they're going to show season two of uh, the show Titans and probably talk about the Harley Quinn animated show that's going to be on the DC streaming service. I want to say think later on this year, or early next year and their competition. Marvel also is they're going to return to the Hall H panel this year. And Hall H is usually if usually if you book Hall H at Comic Con, that's you know you you know you're a heavy hitter. You're one of the best of the best if you book Hall H. That's like they're big, you know. Everybody has to be in Hall H. You know, basically if if you have a Hall H panel, you're a pretty big deal. And they're possibly going to preview the Phase Four rollout of the MCU. Hopefully, possibly a sneak peek of the Black Widow movie, which is uh, rumored to be the first film in Phase Four. Also, they're going to talk about. 
the Disney Plus and the shows they're going to put out on Disney Plus, which is, you know, they have a, a low-key show coming up. I think the premise of the low-key show is him traveling through time in the series. You had the Falcon Falcon and the Winter Soldiers getting their own series coming out next year. And also the uh, Marvel What If series. Uh, think, I think the premise of that show is how will the Marvel Universe would turn out if, you know, some events happen differently. I think the first episode they're going to show is what happens if a Agent Peggy Carter to the Super Soldier Serum instead of Steve Rogers, Captain America. And uh, also they're going to say they're going to preview a gameplay of the uh, new Avengers video game that they talked about briefly at E3. But we're going to get gameplay at Comic-Con and other things. Other shows being previewed at Comic-Con is The Witcher show, you know, based on a popular... I, I thought it was a popular video game, but I didn't know Witcher was a a book. You know, it was a book series at first, but they're going to preview The Witcher starring... Uh, if I let me pronounce his name right. Henry Cavill, uh, formerly Superman in the DC Universe. They're going to preview season four of Rick and Morty. I still got to watch Rick and Morty. I've I seen a few episodes, but Rick and Morty's on my Hulu watch list. So hopefully... I'll, I'll I'll watch all the season before season uh before season four come out the it chapter two they're gonna talk about that uh they put out they put it out today that tomorrow uh they're gonna show the, they're gonna reveal the newest trailer for it chapter two also the new Terminator movie and personally one of my favorite shows uh Brooklyn Nine Nine will be a comic converter for the very first time uh, if you don't if you don't watch Brooklyn Nine Nine don't know what it is it's one of those you know usually when you watch um, police and detective shows, they're all, you know, serious, have a serious tone, but this one takes a comedic approach to it. If you like those workplace uh, ensemble cast comedies like The Office and Parks and Rec, I think you'll, you'll like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's a, it's a, it's a really, really funny show and I highly recommend uh, checking it out if y'all get the chance. But next, next, we are finally, you know, we are finally ranking all 23 Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. The list everybody's been waiting for. The list 11 years in the making. Well, it didn't take me 11 years to make this list. It probably took me a few days. It took 11 years for all these movies to come out. But yeah, it just took me a few days to make the list. I had to watch... A couple of the movies again, just to you know, refresh my memory about it, so I could put it in the correct spot. But yes, we are ranking all twenty-three Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, all though the first three phases, also known as the Affinity Saga, from you know Iron Man that came out in May two thousand and eight, the Spider-Man Far From Home that just came out July twenty nineteen. We're ranking all the movies in between. I just want a little disclaimer: this list is strictly opinion base so no one please no one don't come at me if your favorite marvel movie is ranked low or if a movie you really didn't like is ranked high on the list it's my list i do what i want okay some of the criteria i had for this list was one how good the movie was two what role in playing the mcu and three probably the biggest one a uh, storytelling and plot and also through this list, I'm going to say what movies I like. I mean, what I liked about each movie and why is, why this movie's at this part of the list. Okay, enough with all that. Kicking the list off, number 23, The Incredible Hulk. Yes, this is the only movie I really couldn't, I, I couldn't remember off the top of my head 
when I was writing all the movies down on a piece of paper, I named all of the 22 movies off the top of my head, like rapid fire. And I was like, what's the last one? I got 22 movies. What's the last one? I had to Google as, oh, the Incredible Hulk movie. Because I remember seeing that. Apparently, it didn't leave a mark on me if I, if, if I didn't remember it. But the reason why is, on my, on my opinion, is dead last is they barely reference this movie in the MCU. You don't, you know, when you're watching other movies, you're not like, hey, I remember you're, we don't be like, hey, remember in the Incredible Hulk when this happened and that set off this event was set off that event. You know, I just don't remember it. And uh, only part really bright spot in this movie is, of course, the big battle scene at the end with the Hulk and the Abomination. And also the Tony Stark post credit scene as he's the first person. I assume the Hulk was the first person they wanted to join the Avengers with Tony Stark. Okay, number 22 on the list, Thor The Dark World. Uh, to me, this was a, a decent sequel to the original uh in, in involved you know involved the reality stone called it ether but every time I, I was watching it i kept saying ether i kept thinking of the of the nas song if you don't know the nas on this youtube nas ether that's e-t-h-e-r but back to the list uh some of the bright spots in the movie was uh cat dennings reprised her role from the first one as a science intern you know can't complain about that uh, another standout performance by loki also don't have a problem with that but also one of the biggest, my, one of my biggest gripes about the movie was just bland characters like Jane Foster, supposed to be Thor's love interest. She was just uh, at best. And overall, the first two Thor films suffer from a lack of supporting characters, in my opinion, or a lack of good supporting characters. And I'm not a big fan of long hair Thor. I don't know why. I, to me, I could just, to me, you, you could just tell the, it, he just has a a wig on. I understand it's trying to be faithful to the source material, but to but, you know, it just wasn't cutting it for me. And one of the biggest two problems in the first film is that Thor, Thor, you can tell Thor is just missing something in his solo movies. Like, he's good in, in the Avenger crossover movies, but the first two Thor movies, you just feel like Loki outshines Thor. But that all, that all changes in the third film. Number 21 on the list, Iron Man 2. Yes, um, at the end of the first Iron Man, you know, he revealed his identity. So he embraced that superhero lifestyle made himself a rock a rock star in a sense making him an even bigger target than when he than what he was already and this movie had you know some some of the high points in this movie they introduced black widow uh this movie also has my favorite iron man suit uh the mark five suit this uh also known as the suitcase suit you know i think it's the only one that has that red and silver uh, red and silver lining so i thought that was really nice and just you know it being the suitcase it made it look really looked really cool I remember i was watching it was like man that's a nice that's a cool suit i remember i had a shirt with that uh iron man suit on it but the biggest problem with this movie was just a lackluster villain and whiplash you know the whole you know he blamed tony stark for his misfortunes and he teams up with uh justin hammer to make a bunch of knock a knockoff iron man suits and also the debut of war machine i remember i I saw a meme on thing when around Endgame came out. It said Tony Stark got 500 suits, but War Machine still got the iPhone 3. I just assume, you know, you know Tony Stark's a guy like a joke around. Maybe since, you know, maybe uh, Rhodey asked Tony Stark, like, hey, man, we're going to upgrade my suit. And Tony Stark was like, oh, I didn't make the suit you got. You didn't want my help. You keep the suit uh, you got because uh, Justin Hammer and his Hammer Tech made uh, the first prototype to War uh, to War Machine's uh, suit. 
And and uh, to me, this movie just never sits right in my soul for some reason. I remember me and a whole bunch of friends would go see Iron Man 2. And, you know, before Fandango and all that stuff, you had to buy your ticket physically. And I lost my ticket before this movie, you know, before uh, we went to the movies. Because I think we bought the movies in it. We bought the tickets in advance. Then we went to go eat. And I lost my ticket from sometime when I bought it to a couple hours later. So I tried to use the whole old movie ticket ticket trick to flash it real quick. And then I got caught and I got kicked out of the movie theater. So I had to basically call my friend, but hey, sneak me in through the side of the movie theater. And I was able to get in through the side and I watched the movie. I was like, oh, I went through all this just to see this. But moving on to the list on the list. Number 20 on the list, the first Thor. Uh, yes, and this one, they introduced Nor- Norse mythology in the MCU. And I gave him credit for trying something different. But uh, and also I'm a big fan of uh the whole tearing the hero down and building it back up storyline, which it did that somewhat effectively in this movie. And this movie they introduced Hawkeye, of course the MCU fan favorite and low key, and once again bland Earth characters. The story kind of lagged to me when uh Thor um was brought down to Earth, no pun intended. And all, yeah, I said the lack of a supporting cast, except Cat Dennings. She made the movie somewhat watchable and. Most of all, Jane Foster is probably uh, the blandest character. You know, it can't be the blandest character if you're going to be uh, Thor's love interest or, you know, a God's love interest uh, in a movie. Number 19 on the list, Iron Man 3. This was the first movie after the Avengers, and it showed the effects of the Battle of New York and what it had on Tony Stark. Uh, Tony Stark suffered from some, you know, PTSD, and, uh, you know, the battle uh, had an effect on him, and his actions affected his loved ones. And like I said, he had the inner battle within himself because, you know, he thinks, you know, without his Iron Man suit, I'm just nothing. And to me, this is the worst plot twist in the MCU because the Mandarin supposed to be one of Tony Stark's greatest foes in the comics. Turns out he was just that creepy guy in the elevator that was at the beginning at the beginning of the movie. Uh, Number 18 on the list, Captain Marvel. Along with Captain Marvel, one of the good things about Captain Marvel is it has a great supporting cast. You have Nick Fury, uh, Agent Coulson, Maria Rambo, her best friend in the, I can't remember, I think she was in the Air Force, and uh, the two main scroll characters. And it's the most screen time Nick Fury has ever had in uh, in the MCU. So it was kind of an origin story of Nick Fury to Nick Fury as well. But one of the critiques about this, I just feel like Captain Marvel was just a you know a bland character in the movie. You know, you're supposed to be uh, the head of honor, so you're supposed to have some kind of you know, you know, supposed to be, you know, supposed to, you're supposed to you know make their mark on you as a character. But they're probably gonna build her character up in future movies. Um, some it's rumored that she may be like the next like the the new leader of the Avengers in future movies. But you know, she didn't have that like pizzazz or nothing. Like you know, when you see Captain America for the first time. You know what he's about. You know, he has a good moral compass and will do anything for his friends. And, you know, when you saw Tony Stark for the first time, he was like, man, I wish I was this guy. You know, he just oozed charisma and, uh, and a swagger. And one, and also the scroll was like, it was a little twist that the Kree was actually the bad guys in Captain Marvel instead of the scrolls. But in the scrolls, you know, the scrolls are usually portrayed as the villains in the comics, but they made them look weak in the movie, in my opinion. Number 17 on the list. Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, I think in the interview with Kevin Feige, he said this was part of the most risky movie to make in the MCU because he, you know, he had to pitch it off as a period piece. You know, a period piece movie takes place in the past and period pieces are some of the most expensive movies to make, you know, because you got to get, 
you know, like the cars in that time, the clothes for that time, the music in that time, you know, all the stuff, you know, all the stuff, you know, because they don't make 1940s radios every day. So you get, so you got to pay money to get all that stuff. And it introduced the Tesseract, you know, the, the Space Stone. Red Squirrel was decent as a villain, but they established, I mean, they established from the start on what Steve Rogers is. You know, he's a, he's a man willing to, to do anything for his country and his friends. And probably the most morally driven character in the MCU and one of the best story arcs overall in the MCU. Uh, number 16 on the list, Avengers Age of Ultron. To me, this movie ages like a fine wine. The later you'll see the, the later you'll see this movie in the MCU, the more you'll appreciate it. Because, you know, looking back on it, like, man, Age of Ultron helped set all these events up. To me, I call this the second film in the Disassembled trilogy because you start to see, no pun intended, you start to see cracks in the, sh you know, in the shield in this movie. You know, you always had that inner, I don't, don't want to say beef, but, you know, you always see Steve and Cap were always at each other's throats and start and start basically creating the villain Ultron. And they introduced, you know, Vision, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch. And one of the things I... I thought about was uh how would the MCU be if Quicksilver did survive? But I think I read an article saying that Fox owned the rights to Quicksilver, so Marvel couldn't use them in their movie, so they had to kill him off. And you know, and it, of course, this movie takes place after the events of uh, the Winter Soldier. And to me, this movie off uh, suffers from the you know the sequel bug. You know, usually in sequels, that's like you know sequels is bigger is better, so. Uh, you know, most sequels like we'll just blow things up the whole entire time. Yeah, sometimes bigger is better, but that, that doesn't mean quality wise. You know, that doesn't mean in quality. It, it doesn't mean it gets better in quality. And also the thrown together, you know, will they won't they romance a Black Widow and uh, Bruce Banner was introduced in this movie, which I come to appreciate later on in the MCU. And uh, I can't wait. Watch my place in my notes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I saw Civil War first before I saw this movie because, once again, this movie, I have a bad experience with this movie, too, because I was on the way to see this movie. And when I got in my car, I saw someone broke in my car and stole my iPod. So I just sat there and just got up, locked my car, and went back into the house. And I didn't see Avengers Age of Ultron until like a year later. It just left that bad of a taste in my mouth. Someone breaking into my car and uh, stealing it. But moving on. Number 15 on the list, Ant-Man. To me, Ant-Man or the Ant-Man series knows his role in the in the MCU. It was released right after Endgame. And, you know, from the all that intensity and high stakes at Age of Ultron, it was nice to sit back and have just a fun MCU movie. And the movie also works as a heist film as well. I like it when the superhero movies kind of bring other genres with it, you know, with big action sequences involved in, involved in having to break in without getting caught, you know, and also shows the whole, you can start off in the wrong place and end up being a hero. Well, you know, a Scott Lang was a small time criminal turning to a, turning to a hero. And it shows that just because you did something wrong in your life doesn't mean you can't make up for it later on. And everybody deserves a second chance. And also from the Easter egg, T.I., is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe if you really think about it, because he was part of his uh part of his con crew, and also Paul Rudd is just a national treasure in my opinion, and and also moving on number fourteen, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. 
Uh, this to me, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie was hard to follow up because the first movie was game changing. Um, it's a good follow up to the first one, but we're just lacking something in the story department. You know, a slow second act of the film didn't help when they was on Ego's planet. And also he had good character development by Rocket Raccoon and Yondu. And I did like the twist when Ego was revealed uh, to be the person that killed Peter's mom. And it made up for the slow act, slow second act with a good final act. And also worked as a stepping stone in the third film because in, they introduced Adam Warlock in the post credit scene. And now since, now, since ha, now since Thor has quote, quote unquote, joined the Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm just interesting to see how, how is this going to work out in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Number 13 on the list, Doctor Strange, one of the most underrated movies in the MCU, in my opinion, and it introduced sorcery into the MCU, you know, because uh, he had the eye of the Agimoto, you know, which was a Tom Stone. I remember I saw this movie in IMAX 3D when it came out. To me, this part of one of the most trippiest movies I've ever seen in uh, 3D. Some of the most underrated fight scenes in the MCU, you had that, you had that one fight in the hospital where, uh, you know, Doctor Strange's body was dead, but his spirit was floating around. He was fighting one of the bad guys while his uh, love interest was performing, uh, I think, lifesaver surgery on him. You had that one uh, chase scene where all the buildings were turning upside down, right side up, twisting in and out. And the ending sequence where uh, he turned back time with the, with the eye of Agimoto. And everything was going backwards in time. My buildings were, was, was uh, instead of falling down, they're going back up and cars are going backwards, people walking backwards. And But Doctor Strange was fighting in real time. I thought that fight scene was really cool. And this movie tends to be forgotten in the MCU. And uh, yeah, it, it, it tends to be forgotten. Not, not a lot of people remember this movie when uh, in the MCU. Number 12 on the list. Ant-Man and the Wasp. To me, one of the best one of the best sequels in the MCU. Overall, just a fun movie to watch. You know, like I said, coming off the intensity of Infinity War, it's just nice to have a fun movie to enjoy. And I enjoy the chemistry between Ant-Man and the Wasp. Probably one of the best chemistry, you know, going between the main male lead and main female lead. But the villain wasn't as strong as other Marvel movies, but they still found a way to make it work. And of course, the post credit scene where while Ant-Man is in the quantum realm, everybody gets snapped away. And this movie leaves you wanting more after that post credit scene. But, you know, in a good way, it leaves you wanting more. Number 11, Black Panther. I had a battle between uh, this Black Panther and the movie in the number 10 spot. To me, Black Panther is one of the most scenic movies in the MCU. The city of Wakanda just looked great. And of course, that, you know, that waterfall scene uh, where, you know, when uh, T'Challa... Had to fight in Baku for the right to become the Black Panther beginning. Just the whole scene just looks so uh, so beautiful. And the CG just looks just looks great. Why well, have it at this spot? Because, you know, it has that Dark Knight element to me. Like, will you find yourself kind of rooting for the villain to win in this situation? Because the, uh, the, the Killmonger had a good plan of trying to uh, spread Wakanda technology to the world. But he was going about it the wrong way, trying to overthrow, you know, governments and all that stuff. And to me, Killmonger is one of the best villains in the MCU. He just oozes, he just oozes swagger and has some of the best lines in the movie. I remember when uh the big twist where he well, his dad and uh Black Panther's dad was brothers, so that made them cousins. And Black Panther mom was like shocking on. He was like, hey auntie. And you also have uh 
you know, the line he said at the end when he died, he said, I'd rather be dead and be a slave. And also, personally, my favorite line or favorite scene in the movie was, you know, when, uh, you know, after you become the Black Panther, you got to eat that flower. And there was a room of, of all them flowers in there. And he was like, what's this for? And the woman was like, oh, this is whenever it becomes a new king. They this is where we take him. It was like, oh, no, ain't no new king. I want you to burn all this. I, I just found that very funny. And and Black Panther is easily a top three MCU villain. To me, I may get some flack over this. To me, I put him over Loki. Hear me out. I put him over Loki because Loki uh, had a chance to build his to build his character and gain this aura about him over multiple movies. I want to say he's been in, I think, five counting Infinity War. But Killmonger only, only had one shot to make you know to make an impact, and to me, he did that. And, uh, you know, of course, the whole brick the hero down is to build him back up when he lost the Killmonger and he, you know, he threw him off the waterfall. The Black Panther had to basically regain his throne. I do like those kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, minor setback for a major comeback a story. And also the villain, you know, had the everlasting effect on the hero. It made T'Challa rethink about sharing what kind of technology with the world, which he eventually does in the post credit scene. OK, kicking off the top 10. At number 10, the movie that started it all, Iron Man. Uh, to me, Robert Downey Jr. was born to play this role, and he was a big part of why the MCU is successful. His portrayal of Stor uh, Tony Stark is fantastic. Like I say, he just oozes swagger and charisma and confidence, and he just feels his presence every time he's on the screen. And him and Pepper Potts' chemistry is amazing uh, as well. Uh, they just had the right balance. You know, she brings him back down to earth or tries to bring, bring him back <laughs> down to earth as much as you can and probably overall the best mcu couple and you know the twist of his dad's friend set up you know set him up being kidnapped so if he got killed now he could run uh stark industry and to me this, this movie would have been the movie's good but it would have been even better if it had this part one more action sequence and also you know this whole this started a whole staying after the credit seat uh trend as well you know with the post credit scene nick fury asked him to join or asking him to be part of the Avengers initiative. Uh, number nine on the list, Thor Ragnarok. To me, this is Thor's breakout movie. For my basketball folks, this is the movie where Thor develops a jump shot. You know, usually uh, you see a good NBA player, they talk, the analysts talk about him, like, hey, he can rebound, he can play defense, he can pass, but he needs to develop a jump shot. This is the movie where Thor finally develops that jump shot and they do the whole, you know, tearing the hero down and building them back up thing in this one as well. And they show that Thor is just more than just his hammer. You know, he's the uh, the God of Thunder and everything they get wrong in the first two movies. They get right in this one with strong supporting characters like uh, Valkyrie. I want to say Korg was that rock, you know, the rock guy in the movie and his little bug friend and, you know, Loki and Hulk. You know, this to me, this was MCU's version of a buddy cop movie. Since both of them was left out of Civil War, it was good to see them in a the movie together. And also, they added a Doctor Strange cameo. And this is where Loki's story arc comes full circle. You know, in the first movie, he was him fighting his brother. Now he's fighting side by side with his brother. And one of the only critiques, not me, but just in general, that some people thought there were too many comedic scenes. I didn't mind the comedic scenes. You know, it showed a different side of Thor because Thor was all. You know, serious, like I'm the god of thunder and yada yada. And also the post credit scene uh, where Thanos' ship comes behind him after Asgard explodes, and that's the beginning of Infinity War. 
number eight on the list, the last movie in the Infinity Saga, Spider-Man Far From Home. And this was the first film after Endgame. And I love how they showed the effects of the snap and how it affected the people who vanished and the people who didn't uh, get vanished. And this checks every box off for a superhero movie, action, storytelling, whackable characters, and a good villain. And Tom Holland's performance, to me, he solidifies it like he's the perfect Spider-Man. He has that balance between Spider-Man and Peter Parker. He does that well. And as a hero, you know, trying to balance a normal life with a superhero life. And uh, most of the heroes, you know, most of the heroes in MCU identity. Wait, what do I have in my notes? Okay, it says most of the heroes in the MCU, MCU identity is known and it just leaves you, you know, wanting, like I say, it leaves you wanting more in a good way. And it's a really good, you know, after the really good two post-credit scenes, it does set up that phase four is going to be in good hands after this movie. Number seven on the list, the Avengers. Uh, yes, this, this was the first uh, live action, big uh, crossover movie and one of the most daring movies ever to make because we never seen, you know, all, a whole bunch of superheroes, live action superheroes team up on a massive scale. And I just love the dynamic between the team because you have, you have all these combustible elements, you know, and egos in one place, mainly Iron Man and Thor when it comes to having huge egos. And to me, this movie delivers in all aspects, action and storytelling. One of the best third acts in the MCU with the battle of New York, the post credit scene with Thanos, you know, was, was subtle, but very effective. You know, just, it just let us know, Hey, you no, know, this is you know, the fights only begun, uh, with this movie. Number six, personally, my favorite movie in the MCU, Guardians of the Galaxy. To me, this is uh, the MCU's most unique movie. I know, like I said, my personal favorite. To me, to me, this movie was game-changing, in my opinion. This was Marvel's first dive into science fiction and Marvel's biggest risk because uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was relatively unknown to the general public but had a big cult following you know, from comic book readers. And it, I just love how it drags you in emotionally in the beginning and it made you want to root for star lord and what makes this movie great is that it's you know it's a ragtag team just thrown together uh to save the day you know with the avengers you know that's the best of the best all those was hand-picked but the guardians were just five strangers you know uh brought together underneath random circumstances and this was the first movie with a you know with an end movie scene with thanos and also great action and comedy probably one of the best soundtracks and movies and overall just a fun movie to watch in the MCU and probably the, one of the most rewatchable movies in the MCU kicking off the top five number five on the list Spider-Man Homecoming uh yes we, we get to see the effects of the Marvel Cinematic Universe through the eyes of a teenager Tom Holland gives the best overall performance of Spider-Man like I said balancing that Spider-Man and Peter Parker uh yeah, balancing uh, Spider-Man and Peter Parker very well. And one of the best villains in the MCU with Vulture. Uh, you know, he wasn't on a grander scale, like, a, you know, I want to take over the world type thing. But he made it relatable in a way, too. He just wanted to provide for his family, even though he was stealing government weapons and selling them on a black market. Not as well, but the twist where uh, Vulture turned out to be Peter's crush's dad. And the story, you know, the story of Peter Parker balancing superhero duties with teenage problems as well and i did love you know him trying to 
you know, he wanted to fix the big problems at first, but when Iron Man had to bring it down to, hey, man, sometimes you got you to gotta fix the small problems first before you find on the bigger problems. Number four, Infinity War. It's yes, the beginning of the two-part epic. This movie was 10 years, you know, 10 years in the making. All the movies led up to this at, at, at this point. And what makes this movie good is they make every hero or every team important or no one got a short end of the stick in the story in my opinion and i love how they just built thanos throughout the movie and proved that he is a powerhouse that we expected him to be and uh, you could tell from the beginning that this was unlike any other marvel movie we didn't get that hey happy go lucky intro like we always get uh you know we got a different tone in this movie like you know watching it's like man this is not gonna end well and it's the only MCU movie that the heroes, the heroes lost. I just remember after it happened, we all, everybody in theater was quiet. You could hear a pen drop. And we all were just looking around like, what the hell did we just watch? And uh, to me, I, it's probably one of, you know, that's why it's at this point on the list. Number three on the list, Endgame. The movie that ended the 11-year story arc. Uh, if you would have asked me where I would rank this movie, you know, uh, right after I saw it, I would have had it at number one. I, I know I love this movie, but the movie has flaws, but I accept it. You know, it has some plot holes. One example was, you know, since Loki was able to get a Tesseract and disappear, you know, how would that affect the, you know, the second and third Thor movie? And also how would Gamora, the 2014 Gamora fit in with, you know, the present day Guardians of the Galaxy? And that's also the beauty of Endgame as well. They left everything ambiguous, you know, just up to our own interpretation. And I wasn't, you know, some some people didn't like Fat Thor or Professor Hulk, but I didn't mind them as well. Because Hulk, you know, he embraced his flaws. Like the Hulk was, you know, he Bruce Banner, uh, you know, you know Bruce Banner thought the Hulk was a flaw. You know, we tell people to accept their flaws so he could bond both, you know, his brain and the Hulk's body together. But overall, the movie is fantastic. I love, you know, the time travel element. One of my favorite genres is time traveling. And we all know the. OK, sorry for the cut in. Continuing with Endgame. Like I said, I love the time traveling aspect. I love time travel movies. One of my favorite genres in film. And we all know the last hour, that final battle was probably the best in the MCU history. Probably one of the best ever in movie history. Number two on the list, runner up, the silver medal. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Uh, this is the f the first movie in the Disassemble trilogy. That's what I call it. And it's overall the best sequel in the MCU. And uh, Endgame was considered the fourth movie in the series. So it doesn't hold, you know, doesn't have that title of best sequel. It goes to this movie. And one of the best uh, stories ever told in the MCU movie. You know, Captain America is still struggling to adjust with today's society. You know, because he like two years ago, he, he woke up from a 70-year ice bath you know ice nap and it deals with issues that were relevant you know at the time or still relevant today if you ask some people you had helicarriers winging the satellites you know the whole big brother is always watching and yeah government agencies or you know agencies or organizations are assumed to be corrupt and it reveals that shield has been secretly ran by hydra since world war ii i felt like this was a, an espionage movie more than a superhero movie with with those aspects, and I like it, and I and I do like it when superhero movies, you know, break outside the genre into other things. And what else can I say about this movie? The action is fantastic. The first encounter where uh, K 
Captain America find out that the Winter Soldier is Bucky. You have the final battle with Captain America where he didn't want to fight. Uh, you know, he didn't want to fight his friend Bucky because no matter how, you know, how much of a dark place Bucky was in, Cap always felt like his friend was still in there somewhere and he's the only one, he's the only one that can uh, get to him. And it shows that Cap is a good person and he's willing to do anything for his friends. And he always tried to see the good and, uh, and, and, you know, and people. And then the number one movie, in my opinion, of the, the Infinity Saga is Captain America Civil War, also known as Avengers 2.5, also known as The Breakup, also known as the final movie in the Disassembled Trilogy. And you can tell from the start, uh, the Avengers, that Cap there was always this unspoken tension between Captain America and Tony Stark. You know, at the beginning, they put each other in a box. How uh, Tony Stark said Captain America was just a... Uh, just uh, a science experiment and Captain America called Tony Stark selfish. And it sparks one of the most, this movie sparks some of the most, the most debates in the MCU because, you know, sides were picked and battle lines were drawn in this movie. The movie tested our heroes, uh, morals and values. Yeah. Captain America who didn't want the government to control the Avengers because, you know, he's been lied to before by government organizations trying to control him, you know, i.e. the events in Winter Soldier and Tony Stark, who felt responsible for the events of Age of, Age of Ultron because he did help create Ultron and Ultron did destroy his city and cause many deaths. And, you know, so, so Tony Stark felt like, you know, hey, I made my bed, I might, as well, I might as well sleep in it. So he just, you know, he just took the blame for all of that. And some people, you know, some people sided with Cap, some people sided with Tony. I think I personally, I, I think I decided with Tony. In this movie, because yes, there there are going to be casualties when a city is dropped from the sky. But to me, like you could be you, you can be told that hey, uh, ten people died. But okay, ten people died. But when you see, you know, once you get faces to the bodies and names to the bodies, that's when uh, you you'll feel the effect because you'd be like, oh man, this this guy was married and with kids. This this kid was you know going to college in a few weeks. And you just feel bad once you see you know the names and faces to the bodies that were killed. In, in in any tragedy in, in any uh tragedy and this movie has some of the biggest effects in the MCU at this point going forward you know imagine if civil war never happened we we would have cap captain america and tony stark on the same page fighting thanos and we probably would have won an infinity war you know if everybody was on the same page it wasn't and wasn't beefing at the movie and the high points of this movie you know introduced uh black panther and spider-man you had that fantastic airport fight scene that they shot in atlanta at the at, at the Atlanta airport, and you could tell that uh, when that scene happened, there was no going going back from it. Uh, no, this was the end of the Avengers. This was the breakup. And Black Widow had that line of Captain America uh, was like, "Do you really want to punch your way out of this, Steve?" And the final battle between Captain America and Bucky versus Iron Man was really good. You had Bucky willing to rip out Tony Stark's reactor out of his chest. You had Cap hitting. He had Cap hitting Tony Stark's reactor with his shield, and he just saw it blinking. That's when your heart stops. Oh my God! You know, if, if the arc reactor goes off, Tony Stark, uh, Tony Stark dies, and you know Tony just felt betrayed at the end of the movie because Cap uh, was willing to ruin their friendship to save another friendship in a way. And I just love the line where Cap said, "He's my friend," and Tony said, "So was I." You know, just threw us all for a loop. You know, after punching each other's faces in. Uh, you know, after punching each other each other's faces in, it took them years and several movies for them to patch things up. And you know, in my opinion, like I said, this movie probably had the biggest effect. You know, 
or biggest effect in the after effects in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this is the reason why I think that this that this movie is uh, the best MCU movie that came out in the first three phases. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of On The Come Up Podcast. I greatly appreciate you taking time of your busy day to give this podcast a listen. Please like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your family about the podcast. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at SoYamAsian. And see y'all same time, same place next week.